0: If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab it and open to the book of 2 Peter. Short three chapter book near the end of your Bible. We're going to spend all our time tonight in the book of 2 Peter. Uh, sometimes we have lessons that bounce around. This is going to be a little bit more settled one. Uh, we'll get in one text and sort of stay there. Something you've probably heard me say before and you'll hear me say it again uh, you don't become a Christian by accident. Our faith is a chosen faith. You don't one day just wake up and say, hey, I didn't even realize it, but, but I'm a Christian. That's not the way it works. Christianity is something you get to a point in your life and you, you have to decide, am I going to follow God or not? But just as you don't become a Christian by accident, you don't stay a Christian by accident either. I'll put this slide or something like it up just about every single Sunday morning. We, we're blessed with people of all backgrounds come to our worship services. We're blessed with people that that are thinking about becoming a Christian or wondering how to become a Christian. Um, I've had several visitors through the years say I, I took a phone picture of that slide you put up there near the end. Um, but someone said something to me a while back, and, and this is not the first time I've heard this. They said, you know what, I was taught that here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. But then I was taught a sixth thing, and that sixth thing is be faithful. Maybe you've heard that too. I've seen that same type of list. And what they were emphasizing there is just a reminder, and it's a good one, um, It doesn't end at baptism. The the baptism is a beginning. It's called a new birth, right? As Jesus calls it, as in fact Peter calls it in 1 Peter. It's a new birth. So you're born again, and, and in some ways you're starting over. So just as you didn't get born again through Christ accidentally, you don't stay in Christ accidentally either. And the Bible's clear that if we're not careful, we can choose a path that is no longer faithful to Christ. One passage right here in Second Peter that teaches that is Second Peter chapter two, and that's the, the blank I have there on your outline there at the beginning. Second 2 Peter 2:20 2, 20 through 22 is one example of a passage that I think makes pretty clear that it is possible for a Christian to no longer stay a Christian, to have the salvation you used to have in Christ, and to walk away from it. Look at what he says. He says, "For if, after they have escaped," remember that word, by the way after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Now before we read the second two passages, just notice what that verse is saying, and others like it. Um, Sometimes when you talk to our religious friends, and some have been taught, Somewhere along the way that that you cannot lose your salvation after you receive it in Christ. Uh, Now, no one can take your salvation, but you can leave it. And that's a distinction I think some people miss. But here, this obviously says someone was saved. They had escaped the defilements of the world. They'd escaped it through Jesus Christ. They were no longer entangled in them. We'll see here in chapter 1 in just a second. That escaped idea does mean saved. So this is someone who was saved and gets entangled back into the defilements of the world. It says the last state has become worse than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. And Sometimes people ask about that. Why would it be worse to have become a Christian and then left it? I mean you started out lost. How could it be worse to be back lost? Well, Now you've disobeyed God, and as my dad used to say, you knew better. I think Jesus is clear in places like Luke 12, 47, and 48 that there will be different levels of punishment in eternity. And part of that is based on how much we knew or how much we should have known. And so when I was someone who didn't know Christ, I was lost, but now I have known better, and then I've left Christ, that punishment's going to be worse because I knew better. So I think that's what he means by saying uh, it would have been better for you not to have ever known it. And it ends the whole section, verse 22. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. But a lot of people don't know that's in the Bible. And a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Uh, to God, this is how disgusting it looks when we become a Christian and then we walk away from it. So that's possible. Now, we don't look at passages like that and say, well, we should all be scared for our salvation. There is grace and there is the blood of Christ that keeps cleansing us as we keep walking with Him. But it is a path and it is a chosen path. And that's what I want us to dig into tonight. And to do that, we're going to stay right here in Second Peter and go back to chapter 1. I want us tonight to look at the first 11 verses of Second Peter where Peter has a big encouragement about how to stay faithful. I don't think any of us that are Christians here tonight, none of us want our final story to be that person that used to be with Christ, and then we took a different path, and we didn't end with Christ. And our last state was worse than the first. We don't want that to be our story. Well, this passage has a unique promise, and it's one that's always jumped out at me. Um, we'll, We'll look at the whole passage, but at the end especially, we'll notice the promise, because I think he's giving us a way to stay faithful. I wish I could tell you it's a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing, but it is something Christians do that God says, if you keep doing that, uh, you're not going to fall. And that's something that makes me want to listen a little bit more. So three, pa- three different sections as I've divided up this passage. I think this is the way most people would divide it up. Uh, but the first thing I've called these first four verses is where Christians stand. And let's just notice in these first four verses the special place we have in our standing before God as Christians. He starts off, he says, he's telling who's writing the book, Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. If you didn't know why it's called Second Peter, it's because Peter wrote it. He says, I was, I'm the apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the one, of course, who, who did so many great things and also so many silly things. We see so much of ourselves in Peter. We appreciate him. And he says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. That's an interesting phrase to me. Here's an apostle writing this book. He's writing to Christians. He says, you've received the same type of faith as ours. Um, When you're a Christian, you're as close to God as anybody. There's no one in between you and God. The apostles weren't in between people and God. We all stand before God with the same faith. We've received the same kind of faith as Peter had. We're in a special place before God. He says, we've received that by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, verse 2, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Pretty typical greeting, grace and peace. You see it in a lot of Paul's letters as well. Then notice verse 3. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us Everything pertaining to life and godliness. And he just gives that little phrase like a parenthesis, just sort of passes by it. But there's a special teaching in that little section, isn't it? God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We will not get to the end and say, you know, if only God had done this, we'd have enough to know how to live for God. If only God had acted this way or given me one more, one more thing, one more book of the Bible, then maybe I could have been faithful. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted us His precious... One of Peter's favorite words, by the way, in his two letters. His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Several great things in those verses, and i have tried to point out a couple of them. For the outline, let me point out two more. First of all, notice that we have escaped something. We are people who have escaped, and you see that there in verse 4. I've underlined it on the screen. We have escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We sometimes you hear people say in their prayers that we live in a lost and dying world. I think this is the type of passage they have in mind when they say that. It's a world that is corrupting, it is a world that is dying, it's a world that is rusting, if you want to use that type of imagery. Um, this is not our home, it's not a place that lasts forever. It's not a place that was built to last forever. And the sin in the world is corrupting souls and making souls worse and pulling them away from God. And that's the path we were all on when we chose sin. We've escaped that. Not by ourselves. We had a Savior, someone to come save us and help us escape. Jesus Christ saves us from the world that is corrupting and dying and getting worse. Notice also, we share in what Verse 4 calls the divine nature. Uh, I guess you know divine meaning God. We're sharing in God's nature. Now, I think some people have taken that idea too far in history and had some sort of idea that Christians are sort of becoming, uh, becoming God. That's not what this passage is saying. But it is saying we become more like God. The more God is living in us and the more we let Him live in us, The more we share in the divine nature, we share in His goodness, His kindness, His love, all that begins to be reflected in us. So it's not that we share in His nature like all-powerful or all-knowing or any of that, but we share in in the way we look at people, the way we treat people, uh, the way we feel about things. So we have a special place before God. We've escaped. We share in God's nature. He's living in us. Now, where are we going? That's what I've called this next section. Where Christians are going. We have this special place. We don't want to fall away. We don't want to lose that. Notice what he says to do in verses 5 through 7. Now, for this very reason also, since you have this special place before God, applying all diligence. And Notice the the stair-step idea in this passage. In your faith, supply moral excellence. So you've got faith in Christ. Now add to that, moral. what is moral excellence? Moral excellence is someone who's going to try to do the right thing every time. If it's right, I'm going to do it. Whether it costs me or not, whether it's popular or not, it's right, so I'm going to do it. In your moral excellence, add knowledge. I think you know what knowledge is. And he's talking about the knowledge of God. Keep, keep adding knowledge about God, about His word, His word and His world. To your knowledge, add self-control. The ability to say, even though I'm tempted to do this, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what God wants me to do, what's going to lead down the best path. To your self-control, add perseverance. A spirit that says, I will not give up. I will not turn back. I will keep going for God. In your perseverance, add godliness. Keep living like God. Keep doing godly things. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. A way you treat somebody with with Christian kindness, and to your brotherly kindness, add love. Again, a way you treat someone. Not just the way you feel, but a way you treat someone in Scripture. Love is patient. Love is kind. is not jealous, as 1 Corinthians 13 begins to describe it. And so what's he saying here? I want you to add these things. And verse 8, talking about it, says, "...if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful." So let's stop, no, stop and notice that before we keep going. God wants those qualities that we just saw, those Christian qualities, to be ours. These should be things that people can describe us as, and He wants them to be increasing. So we don't just want to get them in our lives. We want to get them in our lives and get them growing. We want to keep making them bigger, that this is more and more a part of who I am, all those things that you see there. On the next blank there, I just want you to write, if you want to hide it from your neighbor, that's fine. I want you to write some, one of those on that list that you'd like to make even stronger. Whatever it is, there's always something. This is one of those passages that every single time I read it, uh, there's something that I can say, I need to, I need to focus on that. I need to better at that. Um, So don't cheat off your neighbor, but I'm just going to put them up here again. Maybe, maybe it's, Faith, maybe it's the starting point. I want to be a stronger person of faith. Maybe it's moral excellence. I want to choose the right thing every time. Maybe it's your knowledge. I want to. I want to know more. I want to learn more. Self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. All of us have things in that list we can do better. Uh, What's your What's your next step? That's what I've got there for the outline to fill out. But I want you to notice there in verse five what he says about those: applying all diligence. Um, notice that word diligence. We're going to see it again in verse 10. This isn't something you do once, this is something you keep doing. It's not just how you started, it, it's, how, it's how you keep going. Um, so often we're good at starting things, we're not always good at continuing them. We have a tendency to get bored, we have a tendency to get distracted. Um, I heard somebody talking uh, last year, I think it was, it was around this time of the year, and that we're all making New Year's resolutions, and hopefully a few of them are still going just two weeks in. And, and they said, you know, the, they were part of a gym. They said, the gym's so crowded, but that's going to stop here in about a month. <laughs> they, just, they just knew. They just knew the routine. It's crowded. Everybody piles in at the start of the year, and then as the year goes on, there's fewer people and fewer people and fewer people. They said, I can't wait till it gets back to, to normal. Uh, they, were, they were thinking about space and crowding. But I thought about that, that's human nature. We're so good at starting stuff. We're so good at saying we're gonna do stuff. Um, we're so good at getting excited about doing stuff. But then to keep going. That's where so many people fall short. He's saying, do these things diligently. Keep adding. I want these things to be yours and increasing. Verse eight. God wants these things to keep growing. And so then notice where the path leads in verses 8 through 11. So we have this special standing with God. We're going to keep adding these things to our faith. We're going to keep building these godly Christian qualities. And look what he says about them. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. If I decide to go down that path of continually increasing all those good qualities, first of all, what does he say is not going to happen? <laughs> Let's notice that. He says, I won't be, and I've underlined these as we go back through them, I won't be useless. Notice the, that's what he's saying there, right? If these things are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Is it possible to be, to be useless for God? In Matthew 20, Jesus told a parable about a vineyard and a vineyard owner. And he would go out at different times during this day and he would bring people into his vineyard. And, and he gets there as he goes on further in the day and he sees some people, it says, standing around. Some translations say idle. It's the same word right there, idle. He says, guys, why are you, why are you standing here idle? You're not doing anything. You're just standing here. Come work in the vineyard. It's possible. For us to be Christians, I guess, and just not let it really cause us to do anything. It's not the way it should be. In fact, I think I'd say if it's not doing anything, probably couldn't count ourselves as Christians for too long. He says these things should be increasing. If they're not, it's possible for you to be useless in God's kingdom, idle, just sort of standing there, just not really doing anything. It's not the way a Christian should be. Next word he uses is unfruitful. Fruit should be coming into our lives, spiritual fruit. The best passage that talks about that terminology is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23. If I don't see the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life, I need to ask why. Why am I not letting it grow in my life? What am I doing to hold it back? Have I let myself get too busy, too distracted? to sin part of my life? Am I not letting God speak to me in my life by making sure His Word is part of my life? Those are questions I need to be asking myself. It's possible to be unfruitful. Jesus told parables about trees. He even saw a real fig tree. He said there's no fruit on it. It's not growing the way it should. And so remember what Jesus told that fig tree, no fruit's going to come on you ever again. And the fig tree died. And the message I think he was given to Israel, and maybe by extension all of God's people, is that we're supposed to be bearing fruit. And if we're not, there comes a point at which God, God says, you're not with me. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're not letting God grow in your life. So if those things are increasing, we won't be useless, idle. We won't be unfruitful. He says in verse 9, we we won't be blind. He who lacks these qualities is blind, spiritually blind. Jesus told the Pharisees a couple different times that they were blind. Um, It's one of those things that really got them mad. Uh, John 9 is one of the times. They got mad at Jesus for a lot of things. But when Jesus told them they were blind, uh, these are the guys who thought they knew everything. Um, how dare you say that we're blind? Like, we, we know it. We know stuff. Um, the spiritual arrogance continued even then. Didn't even know they were blind. That's the sad thing. If we lack these qualities, God says you're blind. You're spiritually blind. You're not seeing it. You're not seeing what's important. You're seeing the wrong stuff. What about short-sighted? You see that next word there in verse 9? Short-sighted. You're only looking so far down the path. You're not looking at eternity. You're not looking at, at where your life's supposed to go in God. You're just thinking about today, or you're thinking about yourself, or you're only thinking about a short time. You're short-sighted. If those things aren't growing, you're not thinking in the right ways. And uh, I guess you could put forgetful down if you're writing these down on the outline. But that word forgotten is there in verse 9. If you lack these qualities, you've forgotten something. You've forgotten that God took your sins away in Christ. You've forgotten that when you had those sins taken away, you made a, you made a commitment. Becoming a Christian is not, again, it's not an accident. It's not just receiving blessings. It's also a commitment. He says if those things aren't increasing, you've forgotten. You've forgotten where you came from. Sometimes you hear people give a, a criticism to people. They'll say they forgot where they came from. That's usually not meant as a, as a kind thing. It usually means they've, they've gotten a big head. They've forgotten the, the good family qualities they were taught. They've decided they're too good for people. They forgot where they came from. Sometimes we forget where we came from. Getting caught up in the world, not letting godly qualities grow like they should. But did you notice the promise in verse 10? He, he said all those things might happen if they're not growing in our life. But I love the promise in verse 10. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. You want to see the path to being faithful. The path to being faithful in in God is to keep practicing those simple, godly qualities of growth. It's not a crazy secret. It's not like it's something we've never heard before. But isn't it interesting to see the Bible say it that way? As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. It's a chosen path. It's a chosen path of closer to God or further from God. And if you just keep choosing that path of growing, you're not going to be on that path of falling further and further from God. It's a path of growth. So Peter starts his book in chapter 1 by talking about growth, how these qualities need to be increasing. And then if you go to the last two verses that Colby read right before I got up here, he comes back to it at the end. In the book, he talks about false teachers and how there's different ideas in the world and how you got to be careful because if you listen to these false teachers, you may be one of those people who turn back to sin and like the dog turned to its own vomit and you've left the salvation you've had. And he comes back to it at the end. And he says in verses 17 and 18, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Be on your guard so you don't fall. Okay, how do I do that? Verse 18, but grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Don't, don't fall from your steadfastness. Instead, grow. Just like he started the book. That's the way to not fall is to grow. He ends it the same way. I read somebody a while back and he said, uh, he quoted from a man in the Orient. But I don't know if that's true or not, but this is what he said. He said there are three types of people. He said there are, there are rowboat people and there are sailboat people and there are steamboat people. He said, this is what I mean by that. He said that rowboat people are people that you have to push. You have to push to, to get them anywhere. Sailboat people are people who will move, but only when the wind is favorable. Only when, the, when things happen to be going in that direction. That's when they move along. He said, but steamboat people, those are the ones who are pushing themselves. Those are the ones who are saying, I'm, I'm going in a certain direction. No matter which way the current's going or the wind is going, uh, this is where I'm going. Spiritually, we've got to grow into becoming those steamboat type people, don't we? Now, we all have those times where we need someone to push us. And we all have those times where we just sort of floated along with everybody else. And hopefully, as a body of Christ, we're helping each other when we're in those uh, rowboat or sailboat times of life. But we want to grow to the point where no matter what life brings, this is where we're going where we're self-motivated, where where we're we're committed, where we're saying to ourselves, I'm going to keep growing in Christ no matter what the world throws at me. It's such a simple reminder, but it's such a crucial reminder that Peter gives us here in this passage. We've got to grow. You want to stay faithful to God? Grow. You you want to make sure your life doesn't become useless or unfruitful for God's kingdom? Grow. Grow. Don't stay where you're at. Have a vision of where you're going to go in Christ and begin moving in that direction no matter what life throws at you. Peter says, you do that, you'll never stumble. Time, if you're not a Christian, begin that path. Begin, begin that path with your own motivation that you want to go before God and say, God, I want to be right with you and I want to live for you. And I want to make it my life. I don't want to be in just for a little bit. I want to make it my life. That's what it should be when we become a Christian. Maybe you're here tonight and you're ready to have your sins washed away in baptism. Rise to walk a new life. Receive all the blessings of Christ, including eternity with Him. Um, If you're ready to make that commitment, we'd love to see you do that. Or if you're here tonight and you haven't been growing, recommit yourself to that. Maybe you feel like you'd like us to pray for you as you recommit yourself to growing. Maybe you feel like you've, you've wandered off the path. You're not right with God. Let us pray for you. Let us help you. If there's anything going on in your life that your church family can pray about, we'd be glad to pray for you. Come to the front now if you'd like to, while we stand and while we sing. There's a fountain he preaches for you and me. Let us take- And he bids us